Welcome to the Old Souls and Seekers podcast brought to you by Satori Prime. If you're anything like us, you've been around and around the personal development and mindset block quite a few times. You've read the books, watched the videos, attended the seminars, and even worked with a coach or two, and yet you still find yourself searching for more. You may even feel stuck or that you should be farther along than where you are right now. And after doing over a decade of mindset work, we've come to this realization. Mindset work is like a small hit of dopamine that distracts you from your true work. You get these little hits of feeling better only to be met with the same underlying conditions and patterns over and over again. Now, mindset was an important part of your evolution as well as ours, but it hits a plateau and now you find yourself ready for that deeper layer of growth and expansion. If you're listening to this podcast, then you're ready to get off that Ferris wheel. This podcast is only for those that are ready to dive deep and do the real inner healing work. For those that are ready to move past more information into actual experiences. If you're looking for more understanding, then you've come to the wrong place. This is a home for old souls ready to fully embrace and remember who they truly are. Ready to make a profound difference in their lives and in the lives of others. So welcome home, dear one. We're excited to be part of your journey. All right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Old Souls and Seekers. I'm truly, truly honored to have this guest. Uh, She didn't know this, but she had, in the background, made a huge difference for me in my life as a parent, as well as a bunch of my friends and clients and things like that. So, We reached out on a whim and I was like, maybe, maybe on a slight chance, this brilliant author would be willing to come onto the show. And she said, yes. So you're in for a treat. I'm here with the awesome Danielle Dick, who wrote the incredible Child Code. So first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Thank you for being here. Uh, I shared this with uh, Danielle about how my daughter now goes and tells her friends that she's a high emotional. Um, so it's just, it's just amazing how this stuff has already reverberated through my life. Uh, but why don't you tell people a little bit about your background um, and you know what had you write this book and then we'll, we'll dive into it. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for having me here. Talking to parents is one of my favorite things to do. Uh, I am a professor, and so my background is in both psychology and genetics. And I essentially study how our genes and our environments come together to contribute to why we're all different. A lot of my work focuses on substance use and mental health, but I also study kids' behavior. And when I became a parent, I found myself raising the challenging child that I study, highly impulsive, highly emotional, And the research was so helpful for me in my own parenting. And yet I looked around and I saw that so much of the information that I had as a researcher wasn't in mainstream parenting. And I saw so many of my amazing parent friends, essentially, if their children were studying questioning what they were doing wrong or if there was something wrong with their children. And ultimately, that's what led me to write this book, because I wanted to do more to get the research out to other parents who could use it. Yeah, it's amazing. And I'll say that, and this I say to every parent as kind of like the pitch for them to read this book, I've read a ton 
of parenting books, like tons. I think there's books that are really great at uh, the strategy of things, you know, kind of like the how-to. I think there's really great books about the psychology of things, you know, kind of like the overarching thinking of what parenting is. Um, having said that, I don't know that there's ever been a book that I've read that marries genetics to child raising. And one of the things that I've noticed even from coaching lots of parents is, I don't know, and I'm going to say this more to moms. I think dads just naturally think that like they kick ass at it, but I don't know that I've ever met a mom who you would ask, like, rate yourself as a mom from one to 10. I don't think I've ever met anyone that would rate themselves at even a nine, let alone a 10. I think most women are really, really hard on themselves uh, when it comes to how they show up as moms. And what I loved about this book, because it brings genetics into it, it almost gives you space to to give yourself more compassion around being a parent, that it's not like you messing the kid up in any way. It's just like certain kids are genetically programmed to be certain ways. And I think knowing that A is just a huge relief, but B, you actually go into how to be with them and, and what makes them unique and um, how to create a, a, a safe place for this child to grow up. So I think the best place to start is for you just to share a little bit about the three E's and kind of how you've broken down the genetics of it. Um, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Absolutely. So first of all, I love hearing you say that because those are messages that I really want to come through in the book in the sense that so many of us as parents are questioning what we're doing. And honestly, we also live in a culture that's pretty judgmental of other parents. And I'm yes. willing to bet if we're honest, we will admit we've all kind of at some point seen the child throwing a fit or the teenager who's talking back. And we think, oh, that parent really needs to whatever your favorite parenting advice is. And ultimately, what I found is that so much of these parenting messages, as you were talking about, there's amazing parenting books out there. I've read many of them, but usually they're focused on all the things that we should be doing. And really, none of them talk about the underlying genetics piece. And I think that that's because one, genetics feels really boring and we don't have that much time as parents. And I think that's a big mistake though, because as you mentioned, our kids are all wired differently. And so by definition, their brains operate differently. Their behavior follows from the way their brains operate. And so if we don't take that into account, we're making parenting much harder on ourselves. We tend to then make it harder on our kids. And so, as you mentioned, I really think that this is such important information just for understanding your child and then understanding how you can adapt your parenting to your particular child and what exactly. will work best. Yeah. And so, if you have multiple children, that's that's like that's this other piece of, you know, what works for one rarely, rarely works for the other. And this is what kind of throws parents into this little bit of a tizzy because most parents have one gear, right? Like 
this is how I parent. And with one parent, like he gets it fine. She doesn't understand me. And you're like, well, yeah, there's a little bit more going on here. Yes. In fact, it's a running joke in our field that everyone is an environmentalist until they have their second child. And then they realize, wait, I'm doing all the same things. And this one is turning out really differently. They're not responding in the same way. So, so that brings us to the three E's. In my book, I basically, the first part of the book is a little bit about the ways that our kids' genes shape their behavior, because it isn't as if there is a gene for impulsivity or a gene for anxiety or a gene for temper tantrums. Instead, our kids' genes shape their brains, and that unfolds in very subtle ways that shape their behavior and then creates these cascades, whereby that influences the way we react to them as parents, the way they then react to us, the way that you know other people in the world from other adults to their friends to their teachers react to them. So that's why we really want to understand what is their natural disposition so that we can play a role in shaping how a lot of these processes are going to exactly. unfold. And so there's quizzes in the book about to help you understand where your child falls on three big dimensions that we know are genetically influenced that have shown up in literally hundreds of studies from all around the world. And I call them the three E's and they are essentially extroversion, emotionality and effortful control. And so extroversion is one that we all understand. We talk about it in adults a lot too. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? Yeah. It turns out we all fall somewhere on that continuum and that shows up really early in development. And it's important because kids who are more or less extroverted, that's gonna influence the way that the kinds of activities they enjoy, the way they move through the world, the kinds of things that upset them. And so that can be a place where there's hidden tension that can create conflict that oftentimes parents aren't even aware of. Okay. Emotionality refers to the fact that some quick kids are simply much quicker to distress, frustration, and fear. So these are the kiddos that seem to get upset over quote unquote, seemingly nothing. One minute, you know, they're coloring nicely and the next thing they've scrunched it up and thrown it on the floor and stormed out of the room. And, um, and it turns out that that kind of being quick to frustration or fear, that is something that's strongly genetically influenced. Um, some adults may recognize that or remember being like that as a kid, but it still makes it very challenging when you yeah. have kids like that. But different types of parenting strategies work better for kids who are high in emotionality. And then the last one is effortful control, or what we often will call self-control, um, or on the flip side, impulsivity in kids. And the bad news for us parents is that effortful control is related to the development of the prefrontal cortex. So the part of the brain that helps us with long-term thinking, thinking through consequences, planning things. <laughs> And that takes actually a very long time to develop. It's not fully developed till the mid twenties, a little bit later in boys. And, uh, and in fact, so all kids tend to get better at this as they get older or conversely struggle with it a little bit the as they're younger. Too. Yeah. But some kids are just wired to be 
more impulsive, more programmed toward the here and now. They're excited about what they're doing at the moment. They're not as good at following instructions or coming when you call them or stopping when you ask them to stop something. And so there's techniques that you can work with your child if you have a child who is higher on impulsivity to, to help them kind of keep some of the good things that come with being inquisitive and wanting to try new things and being exploratory, but curbing some of the downsides that can be associated with that. Yeah, so the, the first one I think that comes to mind is, uh, I, I just, I remember this great example that you shared in the book um, of your uh, son and you're an extrovert and he is not. And I think just one thing that I wanna highlight here, it's both in parenting or just being human, um, it's very difficult for us to see and understand that there are people that respond to the world differently than we respond to the world. Like we can only kind of see the world through our lens and we just expect that everyone kind of has the same feelings and ideas and things like that. And so it puts us in this weird situations where you had shared this beautiful story, um, about your son and you were very excited to go to this park and he threw an absolute fit. Like he did not want to go and throw and choose and all this kind of stuff, which again, I know like many, many parents go through. Um, so maybe it'd be wise for us to kind of like break down a little bit about each of the, the three E's just to give people a, a concept. Cause I know for me hearing these stories, first of all, it was like, holy shit, I'm not alone. Um, and then the other part was like, oh, this, this is why, because I'm perceiving the world through this. And to me, what they're doing just absolutely does not make sense. Yes. And that is such a key piece, which is that, of course, it's not just our kids who have genetically influenced dispositions. It's us as well. And you're absolutely right that our default is to assume that other people's brains work the way that ours do. And we do this all the time. Somebody says or does something and we make assumptions about what they must have meant by that because it's the way, the way we would have intended yes. it. But in fact, just as we can look around and see that, yes, there's lots of similarities across human beings, but we all look very different on the outside and our brains are all wired very different on the inside as well. And so the challenging place with parenting is, I kid around that we, we all had ideas of our fantasy children before we actually had any children. And we had these ideas of how we were going to mold them into these lovely, wonderful human beings yes. who of course were probably far better than the human beings we are. Absolutely. And then you realize as you're parenting them, wow, you know, sometimes it's like, this isn't working or why are they responding in this way? Or why are they being so difficult? And so the story you were mentioning is when my son was little, I had all these ideas about all the fun things we were going to do together. And so I would plan these outings. It would be, you know, the museum or the parks or, but they always involved getting together with lots of my friends and their kids. And this to me is what sounded like a really fun Saturday morning. And we would be getting ready. He'd be pulling on his shoes. And I would say, guess what? Today we're going to... 
And he would have these absolute meltdowns. You know, he'd throw his shoe and say, I'm not going. And of course, the natural parenting response, because I will tell you, even when you know all this stuff, there's human natural yes. reaction. Thank and it you makes you want to say, you know, throwing that shoe is not acceptable. You know, yes, you are going. We've made plans. And, you know, then my equally strong-willed child would say, you can't make me. And we imagine how this unfolds. I'm sure it's played out in one way or another in all of our houses. And you don't need a PhD to know that this <laughs> is going nowhere good. And what happened is when I stepped back and thought about, again, dispositions, I'm much more extroverted. He's more introverted. Yeah. His little toddler brain didn't have the ability to say, mom, the idea of being with a bunch of people that I don't know sounds very stressful to me. Could I perhaps, you know, could we instead do a play date with one friend instead? You know, instead, his little brain just got overwhelmed. You have a physiological reaction. Yeah. And they get very upset. And that's why I talk about this being a hidden place where there can be tension. Because oftentimes mismatches in disposition, you know, when, when a child is reacting strongly in, you know, getting upset about something, very often we are responding to that behavioral response and that behavioral response, you know, very often our response is that's not okay. It's yeah. not okay to throw a shoe, to hit, to yell, to throw yourself on the floor, whatever that is. But really what we know is especially for highly emotional kids, getting on the why, getting to the why of their behavior, the fact that they're really upset, what's triggering that? In this case, it was him being far lower on extroversion. And so we were able to adapt accordingly. And then both of us could essentially be having fun. So to that, here's what I, I know everyone goes through this. Like ev everyone has these, these moments. There were things in the book of like having these conversations, obviously age, age uh, appropriate conversations that brought curiosity, that brought curiosity to the conversation. So in that moment, it's like, you know, would, because again, you, you know this stuff really well. And some parents are like, well, I'm, I'm not that aware, but I think we can all kind of sense like from our kids, extrovert, introvert, right? And if your kid is introverted and you're trying to take them to these places and you're having these responses, it really could be a conversation to actually ask like, would you feel more comfortable about this? And I remember you had mentioned things about like scheduling things in advance where it's like, they were part of the creation of the process. So they, they can kind of like ease their way into the ideas of these things. Absolutely. So the advantage of parenting to your child's disposition of being aware and cognizant of where they fall. And again, that's why we focus on these three big dispositional areas first, because they cover a lot of territory in our kids' behavior. Yeah. And by understanding your child's disposition, and as you know, there's little quizzes in the books to in the book to figure out where your child falls. 
then what we can do is go from being reactive all the time as parents to being proactive. We have so much on our minds, we can't do it all. And we don't have to be worrying about it all. By essentially understanding your kid's disposition, what you can do is focus on what do children with this particular style, this temper, these temperamental traits, what is most important to work on for this child? What strategies work best? And as you mentioned, I then kind of walk through, okay, for kids with this disposition, here are things to focus on. So when it comes to kids who are more or less extroverted, well, they need different things from their parents. So for example, kids who are more extroverted, they tend to, you know, they, they want more attention from their parents. They want more feedback. They want you to essentially be telling, you know, paying attention. It's the look at me kind of piece. Yes. Well, if you are also an extroverted parent, you might do that naturally. Oh my gosh, look at you up on the monkey bars. That's amazing. Wow, look at you running so fast. If you are a parent who's lower on extroversion or maybe grew up in a family that was not so vocal, that can feel so strange and out of place to you. But what message that might inadvertently give your child is, gosh, my parent doesn't care about me. They don't seem to be paying attention because kids who are higher on that crave much more feedback and kind of verbal responses from their parents. So that's an example on the other extreme. So by understanding where your child falls, you can essentially figure out, okay, here are the things that I need to be focusing on that are most important for this child. Yeah, and, and I just wanna point out that it's not an on-off switch for any of these. It really is like a spectrum. And you can really kind of see where people fall on the spectrum because and, and you also have tests in there for parents and how we parent so that that we can get to maybe later. But yeah, it really is this spectrum. And, you know, for high emotion, which is kind of the, 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 the next one, um, <clears throat> there was a story in the book that I don't know, it like kind of rocked me to my core. Um, the, the one where you took them to the doctor's office to get the shot. Yes. Um, and he, I'll, I'll kind of say it quickly because I want to get to the note piece, but like he freaks out. You, you guys try the, you know, the be cute method. It doesn't work. He's a no. Then it's like the consequence method. It's like, Oh no, then it's like the, oh, if you do this, we'll get you a cupcake or, you know, like the, the reward yes. method and that doesn't work. And then it's like consequences. Cause like, we're here and you have to blah, blah. And I love that you went through all the methods and I was like, yep, check, oh, yes. yep, check, yep, check. And obviously it, you know, it ended up with like nurses having to hold him down and him getting shots and all this kind of stuff. But the, the, the crux of the story that got to me was not that because that I could envision I could see maybe it wasn't the doctor's office but it was like I can so see my daughter as you were sharing the story the crux was when you guys both kept, came home and you basically said like I went to my room to cry and he went to his room to cry yes and then and then from there you know just share because the, the next piece was like oh my god so we were both fairly traumatized by this doctor's visit, as you mentioned, and I'm in my room and he slips this little note 
under the door. And I've kept it to this day because it's written in, you know, his little kindergarten, first grade kind of handwriting with all of its mistakes and whatnot. And it basically was saying, mom, I'm so, so sorry for what happened at the doctor's office. He had to get his throat swabbed with a long Q-tip. And he was saying, I was scared because the last time some cotton got caught on my throat. And again, he's easily distressed. And the idea of this was just so distressing to him that he reacted by saying, absolutely not. And, and it created this massive scene. And basically, in the at the end of the note, he said, I'm so, so sorry. Can you forgive me with a little yes, no checkbox? And from my place of having been so upset and frustrated with him and candidly embarrassed when you are at the doctor's office and, you know, the entire team of people is holding down your child who's, you know, pushing the chairs over and whatnot. And you realize this was not a child who was trying to misbehave, right? This was a child who was so upset. It frightened him as well. And then his reaction was to be afraid that he'd also lost my love. And that just reminded me for those of us who have kids who are highly emotional, because often it does, it's hard for us on parents. I can, and it can evoke not the best parts of us. And, you know, it is a natural reaction sometimes to want to clamp down on, you know, stop this right now if they're tipping over chairs or, you know, sweeping items off the shelf at the grocery store or whatnot. Um, but these are kids who often their reactions scare them as well mm -hmm. too. What they really need is our love, our empathy, and for us to help teach them skills to manage those yeah. strong emotions. And so, yes, that's high emotional children is one of the places where parents tend to, it's one of the characteristics that parents tend to find most challenging for good reason. But the good news is that there are strategies that work better. Um, and I think understanding those and knowing that you have them in your toolbox, they certainly don't change that child's natural disposition overnight. But at least then you know what what you can be doing and what you should be doing and that you're doing the right thing for your child. And that for me made such a huge difference. Yeah, I mean, so my daughter's nine. <clears throat> I'm listening to this chapter. And the, the thought had never occurred to me up until that story that she doesn't want to behave that way. It was always like, she's doing this to try to get attention or, you know, to get her way or blah, blah, blah. And then my tough, tough dad, it's like, no, yes. like, this is not yeah. how you go through life. You're not going to bulldoze over people and right. Like that, that old kind of strategy, but it never occurred to me that she doesn't like the high charge and she doesn't like, because it, it is, it, it feels to them. And what I got from the no, it's like, they feel out of control too. Like they, it's not something that they're wanting to respond to. So actually after that, uh, I'd read that, I mentioned this to her and I started asking her questions. I was like, do you feel this way when this happens? Do you feel this way when this happens? Do you feel this way when this? 
And we ended up listening to this chapter together. Um, so that, and, and I would pause and I'd be like, is this, you know, is this accurate for you? And she's like, yeah, this is very accurate for me. And I was like, holy crap, this is amazing knowledge to know about your little one. And then that allowed us to have different conversations about practices, like how do you downregulate your system? You know, like when you feel that charge come through, like what are some practices that you can do that are simple that will help you in those moments just kind of like find a little bit of ground and find a little bit of peace because we all get hijacked. I mean, we all get, I don't care how much work you've done on yourself, like something will come through and you get hijacked. And if there's anything that we can share with our kids to give them tools to process these high emotions, like these emotions are going to keep coming, whether they're nine, 19, 29, 50, like they're just going to keep coming. Absolutely. And that's such a beautiful story. I love that you shared that. And what a wonderful way to turn something that can create a situation where you're butting heads and probably had for some time to instead become a point of connection. And that's one of the things that I also talk about in working with highly emotional kids is to help separate those emotions and behaviors, i.e. you're on the same side trying to tackle this you know, this emotion or this feeling. And some kids, when they're little, like to like name it, right? You know, I talk about like, oh, what are we gonna do the next time Bert shows up? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that can help them feel like, feel disconnected from that, that behavior or that very difficult thing, which often, like you said, it scares them and they don't like, and you don't want them to internalize, I am a bad person. I am a bad person because I have these strong feelings. What they are is somebody, you know, strong feelings can be wonderful in all kinds of ways. It can lead you to be passionate about causes and to fight for things you care about. But in kids, they do (laughs) need to learn to manage them. And, you know, when I talk to parents about dispositions, I talk about the fact that all dispositional traits have good and bad associated with them. It might feel like it's all bad at at this particular developmental stage that your child is in or the place you and your child are in, but there are certainly upsides to that, to those traits. So risk-taking or impulsivity, it's bad when your child is running into the street and you're ending up in the ER a lot and they're breaking things around your house, that might be driving you crazy. But we also know CEOs and entrepreneurs are higher on risk-taking. So it's how do you help your child harness their temperamental traits to turn them into strengths and to help learn them, help teach them to manage the pieces that can lead to challenges. And that's true of everything, even these hard traits like emotionality. Yeah, yeah. There's, There's two other pieces that I would love to just bring through. One is you mentioned before embarrassed. And I think, especially with high emotion, maybe some on the the impulsive side as well, like, um, I think this is where parents really get stuck, right? It's like you're out in public, they're throwing a tantrum, and it's, it's not, we're not like there to serve the child at that moment, we're there to self preserve our whatever egoic identity of like, I'm going to be this, you know, everyone's going to perceive me as this shitty mom because 
we've all done it to other people, right? So it's like, you just perceive that they're going to reflect that back to you. Um, so I just, I think there's something in here also about realizing that like, once you know what to give your child in these moments, or you've had conversations, not when they're in tantrum or right after tantrum, but just like when they're calm after dinner and you're like, Hey, remember that time that such and such happened? Like, can we talk about that for a minute and maybe just come up with some strategies on how I think that's critical. Absolutely. And you raise such an important point, which is that if we're honest with ourselves as parents, when our kids are misbehaving in public too, that oftentimes what we are doing is for ourselves as much as it is for them. And the reality is that the best way to respond to kids who are having trouble, no matter the situation, is always with empathy. Mm -hmm. And that will de-escalate the situation in a way that attempting to clamp down or demonstrate to other parents that don't worry, you're not a permissive parent. You've got this child uh, under control and you recognize this behavior isn't acceptable. That really benefits no one. It's not going to help things with the child. And it really is my goal. Part of my reason for writing this book is to ho hopefully help parents understand kids' behavior, where it's coming from, the limits of our parenting, so that we can all respond to one another with more compassion. And I once heard someone say that in that situation where your child is throwing the massive fit at Target or the grocery store, that we don't know what other people are thinking. Yeah. So why not default to imagining that they're all cheering you on as opposed to judging you? Going, look at that parent who is responding with such empathy and care to help their child who's having a really hard time. Yeah. And the more you work on that being the mantra in your head, the more you can help your child as well too. And I also give the analogy of very often we hold our kids to higher standards than we even hold ourselves and our other sure. adult friends to. So imagine that you're really upset about something and you know, you're, so my, mine is, the laundry, which has been sitting out for the week, which my husband promised he was going to fold days ago. And it's, you know, still sitting in the middle of the couch. And I am really worked up about him. That is not the time for him to say, um, we really, you need to calm down. This is not a big deal. This is not okay. Lower your voice, right? I mean, anyone who is trying, it was saying that to us when we're upset about something and we feel justified in it. Yeah. That does not de-escalate the situation. Nope. And as adults, we know that, but we so frequently do that with our children. Calm down. This isn't a big deal. This is not okay. What are you thinking? none of those things help. Instead, we should respond to them the way that we would want to respond, which is, I understand you're upset, right? And that's okay. Let's take a minute to like all calm down, right? That's what we our kids need in the same way that we would want to be heard when we are upset as well. Yeah, so, so true. I want to get to effort, effort, effortful control. 
Uh, there's one other thing that I want to mention that was also like really, really huge for me to get, uh, because I think I mentioned before, we all as parents have this default mode that we go into. I think the default mode from my experience and having coached people, it's like you default to either mom or dad, like whoever kind of was in the house, right? It's like how you learn to parent is through the way mom and dad parented. And so when you're not a conscious parent in the moment, you tend to go to that default. And I know for me, the default was in my house, it was like force and rigidness, right? So like, not physical force, but it was like, my dad was a big personality. And it's like, when he put his foot down, that was it, like, he put his foot down. And so I know for me, that's kind of the the mode I go into. You had mentioned, because that I feel like you'd mentioned that that was very, rampant yeah it's like very common around parenting uh but you also had mentioned why that is and that to me was like oh man i get that so i think that's a really cool piece for people to maybe hear is you know you didn't even choose this style of parenting it was almost like thrown at us yes so Going to consequences is a way that many of us were raised and that many people subscribe to that being the way that you need to teach children to behave, i.e. the idea of I am the parent, you are the child, I said so, these are the rules, you need to follow them, and if you don't, there will be consequences. And you know, on many levels, that's not an unreasonable, it doesn't feel like an unreasonable thing. And, uh, and it's the way many of us were raised and that we then default to with our children. But where that actually comes from, as you were alluding to, and I was surprised when I learned this in my clinical classes years ago too, it dates back to the days when men were responsible and could be held legally accountable for their women and children. And so they were allowed to use whatever means necessary to keep their women, children, and animals in line. And our views on relationships between um, partners, right, between men and women have obviously changed dramatically. And, you know, of course, what we know is that that way of thinking that, you know, you follow my rules or else I will punish you, it led to the abuse of many women, many children. Now, of course, we have very different ideas of relationships between men and women. But this idea that we have to punish our children for misbehaving, that that is sort of the default. Interestingly, that has not evolved. Our thinking of of our relationships between parents and children has not evolved in the way that it has with our, you know, thinking about the relationships between men and women. And so I think we're, you know, when you hear that, it's important to step back and think like, where does that default come from? Wow, that's what it dates back to. That's why it's so ingrained in us. And the other irony is that it also doesn't work as we've talked about. So not only is it not good for all kinds of reasons, it's also not effective. And so if you want to parent with science on your side, which by the way, occasionally when you have that nosy person who does feel the need to uh, give you their parenting views in the grocery store or whatnot about, well, you really need to, you know, show that child that that's not okay. 
my default response, and it's good to have one, is always, I appreciate you're trying to help. I parent with science on my side. <laughs> and that's what I go to. You know, I choose or I choose to use parenting strategies that actually work. Yeah. And what we know actually works is responding to kids with empathy when they are upset and then looking at what are the triggers of this behavior and then helping identify solutions um, and teach them the skills to manage those emotions, not in the moment, right? No exactly. one when we're upset, that's not a teachable moment for any of us. Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. It's like, look, I mean, kids are gonna behave the way they behave at different times. We also throw tantrums just because we're older, like, Plenty of adults throwing tantrums left and right, right? So no one can talk to you when you're in a tantrum, just like you can't talk to a kid in a tantrum. It's in the moments of peace and calm in the house. You know, like maybe during your bedtime routine, you can kind of like relive things. Maybe that didn't even happen that day, but like a week ago, something happened. And just get curious. Like, I think, I think people undersell how smart these children are, right? They're human having their own human experiences. We have tools as adults that they don't, they don't know what it means when they feel this. They don't know how to handle when this happens. It's like, if you want to be a parent, then offer your kid tools in times, knowing that they're going to always be experiencing this because we still experience it. And if there's anything that you learn that you can share with them in whatever way that they can hear it, A, then those things happen less and less and less, right? Like, Absolutely. And it's also a shift in mentality, meaning as parents, we often feel like it is our responsibility to come up with all the answers. If our child is struggling, it's we need to fix it. We need to figure out what the solution is. But what we actually know is that what works better is working with your child on yes. the solution, right? They're living that experience. They're living those big feelings, the challenges they're having at school, um, the challenges they're having with their friends, whatever it might be. Clearly, we bring a lot to the table. But if you imagine our imposing our will or our solutions on kids who are easily frustrated and distressed, well, gosh, it's no surprise that that wouldn't work very well. So instead, when you work with your child, and you can do this with kids as young as, you know, three or so to talk about, okay, what's, you know, what do you think is going on here? And let's come up with some ideas for, you know, what you're going to do the next time you get really upset because somebody kicks the ball away that you were playing with, you know, and again, it won't happen overnight, but the more that you help them come up with strategies and practice those with them when they're not upset, the more they're able to then use them in the moment. Yeah. And, and just one other piece to that, which is no solution is finite and no solution is perfect out of the box. It's like everything is a work in progress. You know, even between my relationship with my wife and I, there are things that we put in place 10 years ago. They work great. You take them for two years, three years, all of a sudden, like they just don't work that well. So it's not being attached to, oh, I already taught you this. Like, how are you still having this? No, like we evolve, we change, you know, things are constantly moving. It's just being open and willing to continually engage and be willing to learn and try new things. 
And yes. just because something didn't work out the gate, like it doesn't mean it doesn't work. It just means that, okay, it needs a few more practices or maybe you make your own little tweak on it or whatever it is. Um, I think people get a lot, like very attached. They'll like try something and go, ah, oh, it doesn't work. And then they just stop. I always say, the fact that our kids are all wired differently because they literally all have unique genetic codes that make them who they are also means that there is no one right way to parent. And just because something worked for one of, you know, one of your children does not mean it'll work for the next child. Just because it worked for your best friend or your mother-in-law or whomever is swearing by this parenting strategy does not mean that it will work for yours. And if it doesn't work, it also doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you as a parent or the way you're implementing it or your child. That good parenting is flexible parenting yes. as you were saying. And but it, it also, by understanding their dispositions, you can get a sense of what is more likely to work um, and you can start there, essentially. Exactly. And that I think that's why this book is so brilliant because it spells out, and I mean, Danielle just such a good job of both sharing like her life experience, other people's life experience. Uh, we didn't even get to talk about effortful control yet um, and how you came up with these studies and like the whole twins thing, like uh, the way that you came to all this information is also really fascinating. I want to be mindful of your time. Uh, do you want to say anything about effortful, effortful control? Wow, that's a tough word to just spit out of my mouth. mouth. That's it like a mouthful. It's like four times I tried to say and I couldn't that's say That's why it. I abbreviate them to... X, M, and F for extroversion, emotionality. So we can just, we can talk about high F or low F kids. You know, the ones oh. who are high on effortful control and the ones who are low on effortful control are more impulsive because I've had one of those as well too. Um, I'll say that, you know, there are certainly strategies that you can put in place um, and work with your child to build their effortful control. Um, but the, the other piece I think is that's, you know, important to remember is that um, that you know our kids are gonna grow and develop and they're going to essentially you know some things that might drive you or your partner crazy at one developmental phase actually might you know be more resonate more or less with one or the other parent at a different developmental oh. phase so you know if you're struggling with your children i always say hang in there remember parenting is a marathon not a sprint um but something but when you understand your child's disposition it does allow you to get an idea of what's going on um, as your child is growing and what kinds of things you can help your child on so that they can essentially become the best version of themselves yeah and i'll just leave this um i think parenting from a peaceful place parenting from a place where you're not uh beating yourself up consistently for not being good enough or not showing up enough. Just my, my two cents about it. Um, if you care enough to listen to podcasts like this, and if you care enough to read books like this, you're already farther along than probably 90% of parents out there, right? Like most parents are like, this is how I parent that kid's got to get in line and that's it. You know, so for those of you that are engaged in these conversations and interested in reading books like this, like the amount that you care for this child already speaks louder than 
a lot of the things like we're all going to do things that are going to, you know, mess them up and send them to therapy this way or that way. So loving on them and trying to be the best parent that you can is really, really makes a big difference. And, um, this book I think is an absolute must if this is an area of life that you really, really care about. Um, I listened to the audiobook. It was wonderfully done. And yeah, I'm just really, really happy that you took the time to share with the world this knowledge about genetics. Um, I think it's a huge piece. I think it will become a lot bigger over the next few years as more and more science comes down this uh, way. Um, and I loved it. Well, thank you so much. And I really appreciate your having me on and all that you do to get the word out to parents. And you are absolutely right that the message to parents, and if you're a parent out there listening, you don't have to be perfect. Yeah. You don't have to be a super parent. And um, so if you care enough to really want to get to know your child and think about what is best for them, then you are doing an amazing job already. So thank I'm, you for having me. I really um, appreciate it. Thank you, it's an absolute joy. Uh, where can people find out about you? A website, where can they buy the book? Uh, please share because I know they're going to want to. Absolutely. So you can learn more about the book at thechildcode.com and it's available on Amazon and at bookstores everywhere. My own website is danielledick.com and you can follow me on social media at Dr. Danielle Dick, where I also put out little clips and information about pieces from the book and about all the ways that our genes influence our lives and um, often surprising and, and hidden ways that can make a difference. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to be here with us and share your wisdom. It was a pleasure for everyone else. Make sure you go grab that book. Go check, check out Danielle Dick. And uh, thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Thank Bye for now. So thank you, dear one, for choosing to share a bit of your day with us. We value you greatly. And as a way to give back and help you to deepen these practices, we want to invite you to join our incredible community on Facebook. You can do so easily by going to joinoldsouls.com and ask for an invite. This is our private community where old souls and seekers are able to grow and share their journey with others. We hold exclusive weekly live streams, we answer your personal questions, and offer valuable insights that we won't be able to share here on the podcast. So again, just head to joinoldsouls.com and grab your invite today. And as always, if you enjoy this podcast, please head to iTunes and leave us a review. It's the only way other people can find this show. So if it's making a difference in your life, please share the love. Until we meet again, have an amazing week, dear one.